Welcome back to Pinpoint History, everyone. Episode 14, Taking Care of Business. Last week, we spoke about Philip's involvement in the Sacred War. Drawn into Thessaly to aid the factional split between the Thessalian League, Philip was sucked into the wider conflict between the Phocians and the Amphictyonic League. Philip experienced his first real setback in 354 when he was tricked into engaging with the Phocian forces. The Macedonians were led into a trap, and Onomarchus mauled the Macedonian army with catapults firing rocks down below onto the Macedonians and attacking their flanks once they were discombobulated. Philip was able to withdraw his forces, but had to slink back to Macedonia. The loss of the Phocians dispelled the illusion of Macedonian invincibility, and so Philip had to be careful as he needed to regain his image and fight the Phocians again. The next year, Philip got his revenge on the Crocus Field, obliterating the Phocians and, most importantly, becoming the Archon of Thessaly. After consolidating his presence in Thessaly, Philip marched south to finish off the Phocians, but was stopped when a combined Athenian, Spartan, and Achaean force blocked his passage at Thermopylae. The Greeks did not want Philip's forces to pass through Athens, and Sparta would be vulnerable to Philip's forces. And so, Philip wisely decided to turn around, having already accomplished more than he probably anticipated and wary of what another loss could do to his prestige and the stability of his rule. That brings us to now. After withdrawing from Thermopylae, Philip went home but did not stay put for very long, and in the fall season, the Macedonians were campaigning in Thrace. Despite being a major power in the region, Philip would constantly make his presence felt in Thrace and Illyria, and it would take nothing but a constant display of force to make these groups understand just who really was in charge. At this point, Philip had been ruling for at least six to seven years, and while he had been majorly successful thus far, not enough time had passed yet for the influence of Macedonia to really cement itself. As the history of the region has indicated, one moment you're on top, and the next you've come crumbling down like the Illyrians under Bardilus only a few short years ago. Alliances were constantly changing back and forth in the area as well, as relations with the various barbarian chieftains and kings changed when it was advantageous. Philip began to siege a city in northern Thrace. Every year, it seemed that Philip was getting closer and closer to the Hellespont. The Hellespont, now commonly known as the Dardanelles, was a small strip of land that at its narrowest was 338 feet, between Europe and Asia. There were two major Greek settlements in this region, the city of Perinthus and the city of Byzantium. The latter of the two cities would be refounded in 680 years as the new capital of the Roman Empire, Constantinople. Philip's incursion into this area made the Athenians uncomfortable because Athens imported its grain from the Black Sea region. As a result, Athens began to plan an expeditionary force against the Macedonians, assembling a force of 40 triremes. To fund this effort, Athens instituted a new tax to gather the 60 talents necessary to fund this expedition. This was expensive because actual citizens rowed triremes, and each trireme required at least 170 men to row a single ship, plus an additional 30 marines. So in total, we're looking at a force of at least 8,000 men. 
The Athenians readied themselves for this expedition when they heard the news of Philip becoming ill while on campaign, and then another piece of news claiming that Philip had died. Apparently, this was all that it required for Athens to demobilize and cancel the special tax they had instituted for this war effort. The news Athens had received was both true and false. It does seem that Philip had become seriously ill while campaigning, but he did not die. The campaign in Thrace ended inconclusively as Philip was ill and the army returned home. At this point in time, Philip was roughly 30 years old, still young and relatively healthy. And while he did end up recovering from his illness, we shouldn't assume that it was a foregone conclusion. Illness could sneak up on anyone at this time, and in this era of history, and many others, it wasn't uncommon for a relatively healthy person to suddenly come down with some ailment and die shortly thereafter. After this retreat from Thrace, we don't have much in the way of sources for Philip's activity, but we do have some from the speeches of an Athenian orator named Demosthenes. Between the years of 351 to 349, Philip was active in Thrace and Illyria, campaigning against the Paeonians and building force in Illyria. However, the most significant action was against the kingdom of Epirus to Philip's southwest. What we know is that Philip displayed a show of force on the border of Epirus. The king of Epirus was Olympias' uncle, the mother of Alexander, if you recall. To further cement Macedonian power, Philip took a hostage from Epirus, Olympias' younger brother, who was also named Alexander. Philip was signaling to Epirus to stay in line or else. Now, Philip had a convenient chess piece he could use. The implicit threat here was that Alexander of Epirus could replace his uncle at any time. Now, the young man would stay in the court of Philip from now on as well, going wherever Philip went. And this also sparked rumors that the young man had become another one of Philip's lovers. Before we continue with the narrative, I want to circle back around to Athens quickly. Macedonia and Athens had been at war since at least 356 BCE, since Philip had hoodwinked the Athenians when he took the city of Amphipolis, and then again when he took Pydna. Despite being at war with each other, Philip was not very interested in pursuing conflict with Athens and the war progressed slowly with no real action from both sides. A large reason for this was that Athens was predominantly a naval power, and the Macedonians could not hope to compete with the Athenians at sea. Philip did create a small navy of sorts, but nothing like the Athenian triremes, but rather small transport ships to attack Athenian shipping instead. So the war continued on, but with no real gains by either side. The Macedonians resorted to pirate tactics to fuck with the Athenians economically, but it also had no real gains as well. We do have at least one major instance, though, of Philip once again playing mind games against the Athenians during this little war, when Philip was informed of the city of Larissa's request for aid. Philip was in Thrace, and to reach Thessaly quickly, he had taken ships to reach his destination. The problem was, the Athenians were also campaigning in the area, and Philip's navy was no match for Athens. So Philip sent some ships out to sea to draw Athenian attention, 
and as the Athenian vessels converged on the decoys, Philip was able to slip by the Athenian force and reach his destination. And it was during this time that an orator named Demosthenes began to make a name for himself. And in time, he would become the voice of the pro-war faction in Athens, declaring that Athens should attack Macedonia before they became too powerful to be stopped. Demosthenes will play a larger role moving forward, so when it becomes relevant, I'll cover him more thoroughly. Also, in 351 or 350, the city of Olynthus, the leading city of the Chalcidian League to Philip's east, had seen a new faction rise to power. This new faction was not pro-Macedonian and began to assert themselves against Macedonia. As he had done against the kingdom of Epirus, Philip once again made a show of force on the shared border with the Chalcidian League to demonstrate Macedonian power. This display of force had stifled any conflict for the moment, but tensions were still percolating. Once again, the Chalcidian League was wary of Philip, and it began looking for new allies, finding a friend in Athens. It had only been a few years since Macedonia and Olynthus had signed a formal treaty of alliance with one another, and as a show of good faith, Philip had retaken the city of Potidaea for the Chalcidian League and had given them the town of Anthemis to maintain friendly relations. Now, with the Athenians no longer having a foothold in the area, they began to look like the better option, as Macedonia was the bigger threat in Olynthus's eyes. In the treaty, Macedonia and Olynthus had signed with one another. It stated that they could not make allies without Macedonia also becoming allies with whomever was being allied with the Olynthians. By allying themselves with Athens, who, you know, was currently at war with Macedonia, this was seen as an act of aggression, and things began to escalate, and if you'll also recall, the two half-brothers of Philip had also reappeared in the city of Olynthus. Then, in 349, the Macedonians and the Chalcidian League were at war. Our source for the upcoming conflict once more comes from Demosthenes. The war with the Chalcidian League sparked furious debate in Athens, and this will become a reoccurring theme. Demosthenes made passionate speeches to sway opinion in the direction of war with Macedonia. Here's a little taste of what Demosthenes would say. But if anyone here, Athenians, is inclined to think Philip too formidable, having regard to the extent of his existing resources and to our loss of all our strongholds, he is indeed right. Yet, he must reflect that we too, men of Athens, once held Pydna, Potidaea, and Methone, and had in our own hands all the surrounding territory that many of the native tribes now in the service were then free and independent, and were indeed more inclined to side with us than with Philip. If, therefore, Philip had then come to the conclusion that it was a difficult task to fight the Athenians while they had such strong outposts in his own territory, and he was destitute of allies. In that case, he would never have gained his present successes, never acquired his present power. But men of Athens, Philip saw clearly that all these outposts were but the open prizes of war, that by natural right, the property of the absent belongs to those who are on the spot. 
and the property of the careless of those who can face toil and danger. Here, you can really see that a large reason Demosthenes and other pro-war partisans have really taken issue with. Athenian pride had taken a severe blow since the end of the Peloponnesian War and its defeat against Sparta. Athens had always been one of the most powerful city-states, and at its height was vastly powerful, and for all intents and purposes was a de facto empire. Philip's acquisition had struck at the heart of the Athenians. They had always felt that they would reclaim the city, and despite a few unsuccessful attempts, they still believed that they would reclaim it. Athens of the 350s BC was a powerful state, but it was not the Athens of a century prior. But in their minds, they believed they could be once again. And as Philip took Amphipolis from them, then Pydna, then Methone, and Potidaea, they were slowly stripping back the small layers of power Athens was still exerting away from its own region. Philip was not being malicious about any of this, but simply consolidating power in his own sphere of influence, wanting no outside powers to be able to intervene or hold sway where he ruled. So back to the narrative. Philip attacked first in 349, going after the small settlements in the Chalcidian League. These small towns had no chance against Philip and began surrendering en masse to the Macedonians. We're not sure why Philip did not strike at the heart of the Chalcidian League, but either way, Philip had to withdraw from the Chalcidity due to instability in Thessaly. Once again, Lycophon, one of the tyrants from Pharae, had come back and seized the city in Thessaly. Now, as Archon of Thessaly, Philip was required to deal with this issue and personally came to Thessaly to deal with the problem. Philip came down to Thessaly and expelled Lycophon once again. Using this distraction, Olympus was able to secure an alliance with Athens, especially with how vocal Demosthenes had been in advocating war with Philip. Athens sent a general named Cares and 2,000 men to aid the Olympians and a large force of ships, with another 4,000 soldiers and 150 horsemen reinforcing them later on. These fighting men were not Athenian citizens, but instead mercenary forces. This was on top of the 10,000 men and 1,000 cavalry the city of Olynthus produced. This was a force of 16,000 men and 1,100 cavalry altogether, which is a very formidable force. Over the winter season, this force raided Macedonian lands and their own lands as well, exacting retribution against those who had switched sides to join the Macedonians. But this force was not strong enough to attack the core of Macedonia, even with Philip in Thessaly. Philip returned to the Chalcidian League in the summer of 348, and now Olympus was probably rethinking their life choices. Athens was attempting to suppress an uprising on the island of Euboea and also had to return their 4,000 soldiers back to the north to protect their interests near the Black Sea region. This meant that Olympus only had the 10,000 men and 1,000 cavalry at their disposal. Athens had decided to send a small relief force once again to aid Olympus, but it was too late. 
they would never reach the city in time. Philip was too powerful already, and with his attention now fully on the city of Olympus, he pressed forward, taking city after city, but also providing large incentives for those who switched to his side. Philip managed to isolate the city of Olympus and cut off its access to the sea. Olympus sent ambassadors to Philip to negotiate peace, but Philip was not interested in peace anymore, and he was quoted to have said, For the rest of time, it is not impossible for you to live on Olympus and me in Macedonia. It's pretty metal. But it also gives us a glimpse into how Philip was feeling. He was angry with the Olympians for breaking their alliance with Macedonia and bringing his two half-brothers a clear indication of the threat that Olympia was presenting against Macedonia. And perhaps, this is also cynical of me to assume, Philip saw his chance maybe to take full control of the entire region and extend his eastern border to the sea instead. Still, we should be careful with this quote as it is given to us by Demosthenes. Eventually, two commanders of the Olympian forces switched sides and joined Philip, bringing a large portion of the Olympian forces also onto Philip's side. Shortly after this, Philip captured Olynthus. We don't know if the city gave up or if Philip breached the city. When Philip took the city, he looted the city and sold the citizens into slavery and then destroyed the city. Philip's two half-brothers were also captured, and they were summarily executed. Now, Philip had removed any rivals to his throne, and secured his position, finally. Any Athenian soldiers in the city were also captured and taken prisoner. Before all this, Philip sent word to Athens claiming that he wanted peace which is probably why Philip took Athenian prisoners instead of executing them as well. After the destruction of Olynthus, the Chalcidian League was no more. Philip went home in the fall of 348 and celebrated Olympic-like games at the city of Diem. It was an exciting celebration of events, and Philip was probably feeling very successful. He had been king for 11 years. And now, he was master of Thessaly, the sole power in his region with the destruction of the Chalcidian League, and very wealthy. We'll leave Philip here, celebrating the games at Diem, basking in his triumphs. Like always, if you like what you heard, give the podcast five stars and a review. I'll have maps on Instagram. So you can see that at pinpoint underscore history. And you can email me at thepinpointhistory at gmail.com with any questions you may have. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Let's get it.